I remember my mom saying, if you don't stop acting this way, you're not going to go to your friend's birthday party. And I was like, okay, yeah. And I went to the bathroom and I'm staring in the mirror and I'm like, okay, you have to stop. You can do this. It's fine. And then I walked out of the bathroom and completely blew up. And I remember thinking like, what is wrong with you? You know, this isn't right. And I just had no control over it. Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. And mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists one click away. Go check out BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Get 10% off your first month. Start your wellness now. Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness. Self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others. Essential for healing. If you want to work one-on-one with me in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's a custom-made program for you, one-on-one with me. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. Welcome back to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Today I have Nicole Halson. She is going to speak to us about her childhood story and how she had to hide behind her mental challenges. She wasn't diagnosed with bipolar until she was 20, until a manic episode happened and she reached Brock Bottom. She shares difficult journey with finding herself, finding her voice, finding her support her ups and downs, her growing into loving herself and healing and really becoming the human that she wants to become through her adversity. It all started when she was a little girl, but she didn't know back at the time what she was going through. She just thought that everyone was going through the same thing in their head. She didn't even have the conversation and the tools to talk about it until she ended up in the hospital And she just decided to make changes in her life. I think you're going to really enjoy and gain from this conversation. If you know anyone that is struggling with mental health in youth, teens, adolescents, share this episode with them. You might save a life. You might give courage to someone that is struggling to reach out to help, to look into their struggles and to gain their life back through healing. Enjoy this podcast and thank you again for tuning in to Hope to Recharge. I was born and raised on a dairy farm and cash crop farm. 
really great family connections and that sort of thing. And from a really young age, I struggled with depression, anxiety, and struggling with that. And we knew something was a little bit off, but we didn't really know what it was. And now we understand bipolar disorder. And so growing up, there was little pieces of my personality, I guess we thought it was, that didn't make sense. And I always felt like it was my fault. And when I got the diagnosis years later, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. This is why I am the way that I am. And looking back, seeing all the different manic episodes that I had or depressive episodes. And so originally when I first got diagnosed, we tried to treat it without medication. I went to counseling. We came from a Christian household, so you can pray it away. We tried all the things and nothing really seemed to help long-term, but I struggled with that. And then back in 2013, I had what we now know as a manic episode. So I packed up my life and I moved to the other side of the province and destroyed a lot of relationships in the process and moved up there with a guy and thought I was doing the right things and made a ton of poor decisions while I was gone. And I ended up getting the manic episode stopped. So having a manic episode, you're usually acting in in a personality that isn't necessarily your own. You're not making decisions that you would normally be making. You're acting uncharacteristically and you feel like you can take on the world and that sort of thing. You're not really sleeping. So all of that was happening. And so I finally, my manic episode ended and I fell into depression and I knew something was wrong and I didn't know what or why or how. So I went to the hospital and asked for help and attempted to get the help that I needed. And after a while of not being able to get the help that I really needed, I hit my lowest point and uh, ended up at the hospital. My parents drove up and picked me up and brought me home. And that's when we started the journey of health and healing my body. I got the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Everything started making so much more sense. And I was able to start building my life up in a healthy way this time. Wow. How old were you when you had the first manic episode? So that would have been in 2000 and oh, my first manic episode. So that's, that's a really good question. Looking back, we can see like when I was around 16, I had an episode and there might have been ones earlier than that. Technically, the diagnosis of manic episodes, you don't usually have them when you're younger, but we can see clear signs that something was wrong and I wasn't sleeping. I was doing everything. And so we could see that was a quote unquote normal time. And I hate using the word normal because that's right. And your latest one that you moved with your guy friend or whoever that is, you moved away and you checked yourself into the hospital and you realized that everything's crumbling down. How old were you then? So I was 20, I believe. I'd have to do the math. Starting off adulthood on your own, basically, and you felt that you can, and that's why you moved, but you knew right away when things were falling apart that you needed help. and something's really wrong. Wow. And I want to go back a little bit to your, you said that you always felt different. Do you remember having conversations when you were really young, like six, seven, eight, or was it only when you were a teenager that you're like, okay, I think something is really off with me. I don't feel like everybody, my moods are 
like a roller coaster? Do you remember your first conversations about the way you're feeling? We didn't really talk about it, if I'm being honest. For a lot of it, I just assumed everybody felt the same way and I didn't understand how anybody was functioning. So looking back, I do remember there was one instance and I would have been probably grade four or five. And I was having what my parents were assuming was an attitude. And I remember my mom saying, if you don't stop acting this way, you're not going to go to your friend's birthday party. And I was like, okay, yeah. And I went to the bathroom and I'm staring in the mirror and I'm like, okay, you have to stop. You can do this. It's fine. And then I walked out of the bathroom and completely blew up. And I remember thinking like, what is wrong with you? You know, this isn't right. And I just had no control over it. And looking back, we can see like during that time, that wasn't necessarily my decision. Like I still have to own up to all my actions for sure. But you can definitely see that it wasn't just me having an attitude, I guess, when it comes down to it. Do you look back and say to your parents, I wish you knew better how to treat me and help me that I didn't get to this way? Honestly, I don't blame them. It wasn't really a conversation that anybody was having at that point. For the most part, we just didn't understand I didn't really understand because I didn't understand that everybody else didn't feel this way. I didn't ask for help in the same ways. I truly did not believe that I was going to make it past the age of 18. So looking at the future, that's not going to happen for me. Something tragic is going to happen to me. And that's genuinely what I believed. And I just thought that was a normal thing. And looking back, that's something really common that happened with people with bipolar disorder. They just have this mindset that they're never going to get past a certain age or get to a certain point in their life. And so looking back, it all makes sense. But at the time, I just thought that was how everybody was. So when you said that you thought that you're not going to get past 18, is it because you were thinking about suicide or you just thought something is going to just happen to you that will make you disappear because... It can't be somebody with so much pain and struggles can survive. A little bit of both. There was definitely thoughts of suicide and that sort of thing. But yeah, it really depended where my mental state was. If I was depressed, then it was more suicidal thoughts. But then if it was just an average, I just assumed something tragic would happen. So before the age of 20, you've never been to therapy. I had went to counseling and not so Christian counseling where we're talking about praying and that sort of thing and looking at my mental health. They were trying to treat something that really was a symptom of my bipolar, not bipolar disorder. So as much as it was helpful in some sense, it wasn't because we were treating the wrong thing. And only because you went to that hospital after the manic episode that you had when you left home, were you able to be really diagnosed that it's bipolar disorder and to get the proper treatment? And were your parents accepting of it and saying, oh, she's just trying to get back into our home because she left and she's feeling guilty She's not really sick, but we're going to take her in anyway. Was there some kind of doubt that what you were saying was true? Not even a little bit, to be honest. I attempted to take my life. And so that was really a waking up point for everybody. So somebody got a hold of my parents, told them I was in the hospital, and they drove up. We weren't on good terms at that point, but they didn't even hesitate. They were like, you know what, we're going to drive up. We don't know what we're going to do when we get there, but we're going to help in any way that we can. So they drove, it was like eight or nine hours in the middle of the night to come to the hospital. They got there and a doctor at the hospital walked up to them and said, listen, if you don't take her home, she's not ever going to make it home. They didn't have space for me at the hospital. They weren't going to admit me and they knew I needed help, but there was nothing they could really do for me at that hospital. So my parents 
packed up my room at the house I was living at and we drove home and we started the journey. They brought me to the hospital here. I saw a crisis worker and got the diagnosis of bipolar. Why was the hospital where you were not able to treat you? Was it like a lack of space in hospital for treating mental illness? That is something I wish I knew. I never really did ask. I wasn't in a place where I could ask. Looking back, I went in probably 10 to 20 times saying, I'm not safe. I'm not going to be okay. I need help. And they sent me home every single time. I went in, I looked at the crisis worker in the eye and said, listen, if you don't help me, I'm going home and I'm making a really bad decision. I know it is, but I don't know what else to do. And they sent me home anyway. So I attempted the first time and they released me the next morning. And so that night they attempted a second time. And that's when my parents were notified and they came and got me. That's really a broken system. It really is. I wish I could fix it. And that's part of the reason why I'm so vocal about my mental health and my story and trying to educate people and understand not every place is like that. I'm not sure what the situation was with the hospital, but somewhere, some way it's broken and it never should have happened. Yeah. Do you feel like they didn't believe you or they were just saying, you know what? It's her choice. We don't have room or the doctors to help her. I could have been a little bit both. I was at college. See, a lot of it was chalking it up to, okay, she's in college. She's overstressed. She's not sleeping properly because she's in school. And they just chalked it up to me being a college student. And I didn't have any support system, which can factor into that as well. But at some point, when somebody's now, this is it, you should probably take them seriously. So I just don't think that they had the people there to help. And the doctor said to my parents, if you don't take her home, like she's not going to get the help here. And so he knew that I needed help. I think he trusted that I needed help. They just weren't going to be able to help me there. You know what? I want to just touch upon this a little bit because it takes a lot of courage to go to a hospital and say, I need help. The amount of time you must have thought in your mind, should I go, should I not go? I know from people that I work with, one of their biggest fear is, what if I go and they lock me up? What if I go and they'll reject me? What if I go and they'll never let me out? What if I go and I'll become worse? And what if I go and it's really scary there and I'm really not as bad as others there and I'm going to be very lonely and I won't have, there's so many of the what if because we don't know what's going to be on the other side when you come to the hospital, you don't know how you're going to get treated. And so many people are living in fears. Should I go to the hospital? Should I ask for help? Should I put myself out there? And can you imagine you put yourself out there, you get the courage to go out to say, I am not, I need help. And they're like, I'm sorry, we can't help you go home. Why would anybody even look for help if that's the way? It's really unusual that most times hospital, maybe if there's a doctor that's referring, or maybe the situation should be somebody else besides you, like a doctor or a therapist, somebody that can come with you to help the process. But there's so many people like you that had no one but themselves. Yeah. I just recently, in the last week, I saw a video on TikTok of somebody who went to the hospital, they asked for help, and they were told they were not sick enough to get the help that they needed, and they were sent home. Do you think it's Canada more than America? That was in America. Oh, wow. So I think it's something that a lot of people, I know that if I'm in a really bad place, if I show up with my hair and makeup done, they don't take me seriously. I will literally wash my makeup off before I go in. And I work from home. I have meetings during the day and that sort of thing. So I might look put together because I run a business, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I am put together. And so knowing that 
it is definitely a broken system and something that we have to work on for sure. It's really scary and concerning because we talk about mental health and reaching out for help and don't be afraid to go for help and show your vulnerability. And at the end of the day, if you don't feel safe reaching out, that's really concerning. Like it's really not okay. Obviously every story is different, but what I would tell people that if you do have someone that can guide you, a therapist, a mentor, a friend, a parent, a cousin, a neighbor, a colleague, maybe it would be better if there was somebody shadowing to help this way. They don't feel like it's crying wolf kind of thing. Yeah. I think it helps to have an advocate in some way. I know my mom for the longest time came to my appointments with me, especially because I have this tendency to be like, no, everything's good. And my mom was like, it's really not. She was having panic attacks last night. She's not okay. And so having somebody there to advocate or just take things personally, I've went in with other people and advocated for them and said, listen, this is what they're going through. They need help. And we're not leaving here until we get the help that we need. So it's not a fun thing necessarily that we do, but I think if you can find somebody who can support you and speak for you when you can't fight for yourself, it's really helpful. Nicole, what was it like being a teenager? Was it lonely? Was it fun? Was it depressing? Can you go back to that time but between, let's say, 14 till 18 or even 20? Yeah. So I was bullied quite a bit growing up so that I felt very lonely. I had a handful of friends that came and went, but I did feel very disconnected. I tended to get along with people that were much, much older than myself and hung out more with adults. I remember lunchtime at school, I would go hang out with teachers that were in the classroom instead of my own age for the most part. And I just hid from people. So I was really lonely and depression was a big factor that in self-harm and that sort of thing. I just felt really disconnected from everybody else. So how did you get through the days? One day at a time. I remember I used to ask my mom every single night, I would come home and I'd be crying and I'd just be like, will you please homeschool me? And I just didn't want to be there. I didn't want to go there anymore. And it just wasn't something that we could do at that point. So I had to tough it out. Do you know what it was? Was it a fear of being bullied or was it like just not feeling belonging and like aching through every day? Or was it a fatigue and tiredness and just walking in a cloud and you just rather stay in bed? I guess a little bit of all of that. The fear of being bullied was big. I had a lot of social anxiety. So having to get up and talk in front of a class or, or something like that, that would mess up my entire day and usually take me days to recover after the fact. So stuff like that was really difficult, which is ironic because now I can get up and speak in front of people and I'm perfectly fine. Because you owned the fact that it's hard that you're going through it versus hiding it and pretending that everything is okay. Exactly. Yeah. So what is a few tips that you would give teenagers if you can go back to when you're like 13, 14 and you're sitting with yourself and let's say you have a child your age. And you could see that they're going through the same thing that you went through. What would be some tips that you would say to them in order to help them get through the day or to help them find out what's wrong or to access that pain and deal with it? What would be some tips that you would tell teenagers? Because unfortunately, teenagers are struggling now more than ever. What boundaries, what self-care, what can you give them as advice? that you wish someone gave you then? Yeah, honestly, I think having a conversation about it is really great. I remember we had a speaker come into high school and he was talking about mental health 
and self-harm. And he said something and he said that talking about won't cause it to happen. And I thought that was interesting because I think a lot of times we think about if we're talking about depression or anxiety or self-harm, it's going to immediately mean that somebody who's completely healthy is going to deal with it. In actual fact, all it does is brings to light the people who are struggling and it's not causing it, it's helping them. Being less afraid to talk about it is really important. I spend a lot of time talking about it and trying to educate as I can about it, asking for help. And by having a conversation about it, then we can support people who might not actually understand what's happening or why your situation is the way it is. So communicating with people, educating yourself, and then advocating for yourself as much as you can, asking for help, that sort of thing. From a social media standpoint, protecting yourself online. I was lucky in the sense that I wasn't on social media while I was in high school. So at least the bullying stopped when I got home. But I know that's not the situation for a lot of people or they're influenced by the social media and it's affecting their mental health. So there's tons of different boundaries and that sort of thing that I have in place for myself as a 27-year-old, how I use social media to protect my mental health. And I think a lot of those things can be transferred to somebody who's a teenager as well. I want to talk about social media a little bit. I know that there's a new Netflix show that people asked me to watch. Do you know the name of that Netflix show about social media and how it affects us? I think it's called The Social Dilemma. Maybe. Yeah. It just came out, right? And everybody's, did you watch it? Did you watch it? I don't have Netflix and I don't really watch anything. I don't have TV. I don't have Hulu. I don't have Netflix, but I think I'm going to watch it because it's important, not only for teenagers, but for adults as well. And for adults to understand their children. And if the social media is more something that takes over our mind and there's real bullying or it's self-destruction, what do you think? It can be both. For sure. I have had trolls or people bullying me at 23 to 27. And I remember the first time somebody called me fat online and it was just a random person. Is that true? Yeah. And I cried. Someone would do that? It happens all the time. Oh my God. I'm so naive. Here's my naive shock. People call someone fat online because they want to on purpose hurt them? Yes. Teenagers or adults? Both. Oh my goodness. Knowing this, we have to deal with it. And so somebody told me that the people who are leaving comments like that, it's because they're intimidated by you or they're jealous. It makes you feel good when you bring somebody else down. Exactly. So knowing that, I was like, okay, but it still really hurt. It's awful. Within the last 12 months, I had somebody call me a hippo and I laughed so hard when I read the comment because I was like, it's so random. And I made a TikTok about it and I just addressed it. I was like, you guys, first of all, this is not appropriate. You should not be calling people names and that sort of thing. But like your words aren't going to hurt me. And it happens. I see this all the time on people's videos of teenagers tearing each other down or even adults tearing each other down. And it's just awful. And so it's definitely something we got to protect ourselves from. Wow. I didn't realize. I know that I spoke to a teacher And she was telling me how social media, there's so much bullying. And I guess I'm really living in a very small bubble of my own social media that I never encountered bullying on social media. I've encountered plenty of bullying in life, not only social bullying, but there's also, I come from a religious background that there's also religious bullying. And I encountered a lot of that growing up and it's very hard to heal from that. But I think there's also a mental health building that we're afraid if we tell people that we're struggling with depression 
with mania, with panic attacks, with whatever we're struggling with, whatever it is, we're diagnosed with anorexia, bulimia, bipolar, you name it. We're afraid to say it because we'll be bullied. Yeah. So how are we going to inspire teenagers to reach out to help if the fear is so strong? Yeah, you don't have to be vocal on social media about your mental health. I choose to because I know it's helping other people. And so if I get somebody trying to tear me down because of my mental health, and it's happened a handful of times, but usually for the most part, I get a lot of support back and a lot of people thanking me or messages saying, hey, my sister, my mom, my aunts, my cousin struggles with this just like you do. Thank you so much. I now understand what they're going through. So the positives outweigh the negatives doesn't necessarily mean you have to, but surround yourself with people that are uplifting versus people that are constantly tearing down. I've unfriended people because they just toxic. They're making jokes that I don't approve of. I've addressed jokes that have happened in the past. I had somebody reach out to me and said, oh my gosh, I had no idea that was offensive to somebody with bipolar disorder. And I was like, hey, I'm not mad at you. This is what it is. And what you're saying, these words actually affect people. And so I try to educate as much as possible. But the people that continue to do those things, I just remove them from my friends list or I I block them or unfollow them or whatever I need to do to make sure that the people and the things that I am seeing on social media are uplifting and helping me versus that tearing me down. It's such an important point you're bringing up and I want to highlight it a little bit. I speak about this with people that approach me and ask me, what did you do to heal? What am I supposed to do? What am I doing wrong? Why am I not healing? And I say we can hire staff to heal us, to help us heal. We can have a therapist, a psychiatrist, medication, We could have a spiritual healer. We can have whatever. We can have a team, right? Endless amount of people that can help us heal. But if we don't create boundaries in our lives to make sure that the people that are in our close network are people that inspire us, are there for us, cheering for us, inspiring us to continue and are filling us up with positive energy because our energy can get depleted so fast. We need to make sure that is the number one thing we do before we hire staff to help us, right? Because these things are what we do for ourselves. This is where we interfere and say, okay, fine. This is not the way I'm willing to be spoken to. You're no longer in my circle. You do not bring any value into my life. And sometimes these things are the hardest things to do is disconnect from people that we're so used to be connected to. It could be family members. It could be best friends that we thought that were our best friends, but we realized that really were not good for us. And how to choose ourselves and say, okay, a new chapter of healing is opening. And part of that is creating boundaries. Who am I going to speak to? Where am I hanging out? Who am I listening to? Who am I choosing to have conversations with? Exactly. And it's so important. And it's very hard to do as a teenager. I wish someone taught me this when I was young because I went through so much pain because I didn't know this. I was a big people pleaser and I thought, oh, I'll just be the okay, the one that swallows everything. And only after my mental breakdown did I realize that the boundaries was the number one thing that I will need in order to move forward with my recovery. And with social media, we have to be really careful to make sure we're looking at the right things that inspire us to reply or to not even read things that we know that are going to be toxic for our mind. Because one sentence from one person can break us 
after we work so hard to heal. And we work really hard to heal. Like every day, it's not like we get like to the finish line of healing. Okay, we're all better. It's every day. Absolutely. Every day is a healing journey for us. So we work really hard because we choose to live a healthy life. I want to hear a little bit more about what teenagers can do in order to surround themselves with the right people and not get sucked into the social pressure of what everybody else is doing. What can they fill themselves up with in order to not get sucked into the time-wasting apps and social medias that are out there? What would you recommend? Yeah, so I'm a little bit biased. I run a social media marketing company, so I'm on social media all the time. But what's different about my social experience versus somebody else, even my mom, who's not really that much into social media is I'm really selective over who I follow on social media. So I only follow people that make me feel good. And if I start getting a negative feeling from you, or I see your content and I start to dread what's coming next, I just unfollow. There's been times, especially on Facebook, which I think teenagers for the most part, they're not there. Or even on Instagram, you can mute people. So you don't see their content anymore. So if you have that family member or that person that it's going to cause a lot of problems, if you just outright unfollow them and you don't want to have to deal with that, you can just mute their content. And so that way you just don't see it anymore. And that's a really great way to keep that surface relationship if it makes sense, while also protecting yourself and what you're seeing online. So one of the things I see all the time is people are like, oh, social media is so negative. Everything I see is negative. The way the algorithm works is it's based off of what you are engaging with and what you're looking at. So if everything is negative, then we've got to change what you're looking at, what you're engaging with. Wow. What a good point you're making. Wow. Great point. Go through and follow the people and the things that are uplifting. Go look for good feeling quote accounts on Instagram. Follow those and engage with those. And that's what you're going to start seeing more of. And then over time, you're going to create this safe space for yourself that going on social media is going to be like, oh, okay, this is a good break versus, oh my gosh, I'm dreading to see what drama is happening today. I don't see anything about politics or negative news stories or anything like that because it's not something that I look at on social media. So I just don't see it, which is fantastic. And if I do see it, I mute it and then it's gone. So I can keep myself in a healthy mental space on social media. And it's so easy to do once you get started and it becomes second nature for you. Wow. What a great idea. When you say muted, what does that mean? Explain like technically what that means. Yeah. So there's a little button that you can select on Instagram, go to the account and hit the three dots, I believe it is. And it'll actually, it'll come up and say mute story and post. And so you can just mute them on TikTok. You can just hold the screen and it comes up and asks if you want to hide this content, you can hide content from a specific user. So you just don't see it anymore or specific sound. If there's a trend going around that you might find triggering, you can mute the sound. So you just don't see that anymore. Every platform is a little bit different, but go through unfollow and mute the people that are negatively affecting you. Great tip, by the way. I wanted to ask you as as somebody that hangs out on social media, because that's what you do for a living. So there's a lot of positive also, just like you said, it's not all negative. It's about who you spend time with. How many hours a day do you spend just in order to, sometimes we can really feel bad about ourselves if we look about and compare to others, but there's also a lot of good on social media. 
what do you think is like a good place for teenagers to start hanging out in the good places on social media? I would start by just weeding out things that aren't uplifting you in some way. So I had followed thousands of people and I went through and I unfollowed almost everybody except for a few people. Then over time, I've added more and more. So I used to follow like 25 people on Instagram. I think it's about a hundred now, but slowly over time. That's it? That's it. But I'm only following people that make me feel good and uplifting. I'm super picky too about who I follow because I run a social media marketing company. So anybody I'm following, it needs to make sense. But I recommend you go through and you don't have to follow everybody. It's not a rule. You can follow exactly who you want to follow. So unfollow everybody else. And then you don't have to weed through all the content. The only content you're going to see is the positive stuff. I look at different organizations, like especially for mental health, different organizations that are their mission is to uplift or inspire or support people with mental illness. So that way I'm seeing those uplifting pieces of content in my feed instead of seeing something that maybe I'll take to heart the wrong way. And there's so many groups that can really support you through mental illness. I know that I'm in a lot of groups, but we have to make sure that it's the right groups because there's so many out there. And also make sure that you're safe in a group that no one takes advantage of your vulnerability and to be very careful, but at the same time, it could be really supportive. So let's say somebody struggles with panic attacks. There are groups for panic attacks, uh, for parents that their kids struggle with it. There's so many support groups. How many groups are on Facebook? Oh my gosh, I have way too many. But Facebook itself has millions, hundreds of millions of groups. So there's almost a group for anything. And if there's not a group for something that you're looking for, maybe you'll be the creator of that group and you'll be surprised how much you can help people. You can use social media to inspire. And it's really powerful to see how we can choose, really. It's a good exercise to choose who we hang out with, especially through COVID. We're not doing so much physical hanging out. So who do you choose to hang out on social media, on the virtual world, to protect yourself, to protect your mind, what will come in and what will go out? It could be challenging when you're not used to it, but I'm sure there's groups there that can help with that as well. And surround yourself with people that inspire you, that are looking out for you. And it might feel like you have a small network of people, but small network of people that are very valuable will bring you much more valuable than a big network of people and friends that bring you down. Exactly. Absolutely. And just because you followed somebody and you got a lot out of it doesn't mean you always have to. I know I've outgrown different people and accounts. They were really great when I first started out. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? You're actually not helping me anymore. If anything, you're getting on my nerves or you're bringing me back to a place that I don't want to be anymore. And so unfollow and I find somebody else to fill that spot. So just because you got a lot of stuff out of their content previously doesn't mean you have to stick around. Absolutely. And that's also with the real life, not only social media. Just because somebody was your friend for many years doesn't mean that they have to continue if they're not bringing you up, if they're not there for your best interest, they're not elevating you. Make sure that the people that are surrounding you are people that really elevate you, that help you. I want to ask you about medication. Have you started medication right after your last hospitalization, the last manic episode? Yes. When I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, we started medication. And over the last seven years, we've tried different medications for different things. And I've experienced tons of side effects from different 
medications, but we finally found something that seems to be working and it's covering all my mental health. This is the first time in seven years that I haven't had any negative side effects from a medication and I'm completely stable. So it's really nice to see that. It doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight, but I was stable for four years. I just had really negative side effects to one of the medications that I was on. So you got to pick and choose. But over time, if you're working with your medical team, you should be able to get the results that you're looking for. Yeah. And don't stop trying. If you have side effects that you don't feel good with, go back to your doctor. Make sure you have a doctor that's really good, a psychiatrist that's really good, that's working for your best interest, because it could be a roller coaster ride in the beginning. You might be switching one pain to another pain and one struggle to another struggle with medication. It could be a very rocky road, but when you find the stability, it really could be so helpful to get through days, to get through nights, to have less panic attacks, have less anxiety, and really be stable and be able to cope in the world. Look at Nicole. You could have another manic episode and it could happen any day, but every day you choose to live the best you can for that day. And you're not stopping your life. You're not saying, oh, I'm struggling with bipolar. So that's it for me. No, you created a social media agency. You created a life, a beautiful life, and you're doing the best you can with what you have right now. Absolutely. And don't stop and don't be afraid and don't say, oh, I'm afraid to tell people what I have because they'll look at me funny. Usually when you tell the right people what you have, not only are they going to support you, they'll respect you more and you're going to see how much you're going to attract the right people to you for your recovery. Absolutely. Did you go into any live events support for people that struggle with bipolar? Yeah, definitely. I went through different educational groups. One right now, it's online now because of COVID. We were meeting in person at one point and it's just educating me on what bipolar looks like. And it's been amazing to understand more about what I go through and looking at this is what other people experience on a regular basis. Oh my gosh, that's really good to understand and know so I can prepare myself and make sure that I don't make the same mistakes. So educating yourself that way is really great. There's tons of different support systems or support groups that you can go to learn more about managing your anxiety or your thought processes or just your mental state. So I definitely recommend you look for those and attend those when you can. Do you have hope for the future? Absolutely. For the mental health world, for recovery. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a long way to go, but I think we're going in the right direction and having people speak out about it and We just got to keep trucking along and asking for help and fighting for what's right. What is your biggest wish? If you had a magic wand, what's the biggest wish for teenagers that you can implement in the world? If you were the ones chosen to implement something for teenagers that are struggling with mental illness, what would be that wish? I wish every person that was struggling would be able to get the support they need without having to fight for it. Wow. That is so beautiful because that's really everything. Support is everything. And unfortunately, we do have to fight for it sometimes. If it's acceptance or is it financial or is it from the hospital that we go to and we say we need help? That's really true. That's beautiful. What are you doing in order to help the mental health world besides speaking about it and all that? What is your dream for yourself to give back to the community? Definitely speaking about it, doing podcasts when I can, once COVID is over, if that's the thing, going back to speaking in person. I run a mental health blog, about 10 different authors, and they write about their mental health experiences and that sort of thing to help educate and support and inspire people. What is that blog called? Defying Shadows. Okay, we'll put it in the show notes. 
Awesome. Yeah. I write for the mighty, which talks about mental health and chronic illness. So I write for them really just whatever I can. I have a support group for social media managers and virtual assistants who are struggling with mental health because I think sometimes it's really hard for us to be like, hey, I'm struggling right now when our clients can see that. And it's not something we want our clients necessarily to know or to see. So being able to have that space where you can be honest about your mental health without having the concern of. Wow, that's so special. Is this on Facebook, these support groups? Yep. Wow. And I want to touch upon that for a second because. VAs are usually virtual. They're not in office. They don't have the support from people around them. And sometimes it could be so lonely and so dark. And a lot of VAs want to be alone. Like they choose to be alone and that's why they chose to be a VA. But at the same time, they're not getting the support that they need from exterior people. So what you're doing is so important. Thank you. Do you want to send me all the links to these groups that if anybody listens and they want to join? Absolutely. That would be great. And what is your social media agency called? It's AIM Social Media Marketing. AIM Social Media Marketing. Okay. And what do you love doing in social media? What's your favorite thing that you could sit all day and do? Oh my gosh, there's so many things. I think being able to implement has been really fun the last little bit. Once we have the strategy and everything in place and just seeing things fall into place, building their audiences and that sort of thing. And you see the numbers grow. I just like being able to support our clients and help them reach their mission. Nice. What kind of industries do you work with? Almost all of them. There are some exceptions, but we've worked with everything from like restoration companies to other social media managers that need help and support nonprofits. The list kind of goes on financial advisors, really whoever needs social media help and has a mission that they want to put out there. What made you go into it? My mental health. I needed a job that I could do from home when I was first diagnosed because I wasn't in a position where I could work a nine to five. So I started my business instead, which ironically, I work more hours now than I would if I got a nine to five, but it's working on my terms, on my schedule. I can take a break when I need it. And it's the best thing that I could have done for myself at the time. Did you know social media so well, or did you have to learn it? So I'd taken a social media marketing class in college. So I did know a little bit and I knew the basics. And then over time, as I got more experienced, I just grew my business. That's beautiful. What a story of courage, of excitement, of roller coaster rides, and of real success. You're so young and you went through so much in life that some people don't go through in a lifetime. Yeah. Do you have siblings? I do. Yeah, I have three siblings. Okay. Do you all live together? We do. Nice. Is there anything you would like to share before we say goodbye? I guess if just don't give up. I know that seems like such a cliche thing, but I know so many times I was, you know, I'm done fighting and then I get another little spark of hope and fight. So if you need that spark of hope, this is it. And keep fighting, keep asking for help. There is help out there. We just have to get it for you. I usually ask my last question, what does hope mean to you? And you just answered it with not even knowing that to keep fighting because there's always a spark. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you for educating me and teenagers out there, how they can really choose to control what goes into their mind, what fills their energy and how to fight the real fight of getting up every day and moving forward and not giving up and saying, you know what? I made a mistake. I was wrong. I need help. And being an image of courage for others to say, you know what, 
she's 27. Maybe somebody's going to listen to this and say, I'm 15, 16, 17. Oh, I can get there. I just need to do the work. I need to find the right support. I need to surround myself with the right people. I need to filter some people out of my social media and out of my life. I appreciate you sharing your journey with us. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time.